This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt shorty bringing you the best of my times radio show you can listen monday to friday 10 till 1 and the exciting news has just been announced today is that from february the 18th i'll be handing over the reins every Friday to Ruth Davidson who's joining the uh, Times Radio lineup. She'll be on Fridays from 1 o'clock from February the 18th. Ruth Davidson, former Scottish Conservative leader. She's been on the pod uh, loads of times and you'll be able to catch on Times Radio uh, from next month. Uh, coming up on today's episode then, a very simple question. Who is Liz Truss? Uh, supposedly the race to replace Boris Johnson is a straight fight between her and Rishi Sunak but so, uh, YouGov poll we had done for the show found that half of people didn't know who she was. So coming up on today's episode, you, it's some of it in her own words, we're going to try to find out who is she, what's she all about, and what are her chances really of becoming Prime Minister. So that's coming up in just a moment. But first, of course, it is Tuesday, so it must be Figovic. Meet the Cerberus of columnists. The Janus of journalism. And the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Finkelvich with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. Uh, which means, Finkelvich, it's a very good morning to Daniel Finkelstein. Morning, Danny. Good morning. And a very good morning to David Aronovich. Morning, David. Hi there. I think, I think an evening of Johann Strauss waltz music would would make me turn back and go back to France. Would it? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, uh, the, the, apparently this is the, the only mad idea that Priti Patel has turned down. Number 10 dreamt up the idea of using sonic cannon uh, to deter people from coming to Britain. Um, and they've, 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 we've, we, we've now reached the limit of things that, that even Priti Patel thinks are too tough. What, what song or sounds would deter you, Danny? Oh, I don't know. Actually, good point. Um, uh, no, I think I'd be attracted by the uh, by the waltzes or whatever David suggested. I don't think that would uh, that would turn me down. But it is it is interesting that uh, that there are some ideas that are simply uh, too mad, and they, because they haven't got any ideas that actually work, we now get all the ones that don't work as well. So that at least they seem to be doing something, even when they've decided not to do it. And just just as she works her way through her, her, her atlas colouring in book um, of countries that we could send people to for for processing us so. all. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about. Um, well, there's, there's been lots of these 
um, attempts to try and reboot Boris Johnson's premiership. You know, look over here, the Red Operation Red Meat, as it was called. Uh, a crackdown on boats crossing the channel was one of the uh, issues. Going after the BBC was another one. Uh, is this going to work, do you think, David? Um, who called it Operation Red Meat? That's the first thing that I want to know. I mean, was that just was that us lot, essentially? And we kind of pushed it onto them. So I, I do well, remember once... There, was, when there I... did appear to be an attempt, um, because first of all, there was Operation Save Big Dog, which everyone in government seems to admit, seems to concede is total nonsense. Operation Red Meat seems less um, disputed. But but is that but, but but is that what they called it? Operation, you know, because you know what the phrase "throwing red meat to the dogs" means is that you throw them something that they really want, and while they're kind of snarling, etc., you get to do the thing that you need to do without the dogs noticing. Um, is that essentially what we're saying that this is? I mean, I do, as I said, I do remember uh, on a previous newspaper of the Times, I was writing all kinds of things that were disobliging in the view of the quite a lot of our uh, readers. And so the, my editor at the time, the, the section editor said, you know, what you need to do is give them some red meat. And I thought, you mean throw them stuff really strongly expressed that they already agree with? Uh, so that I can slip the other stuff past them without without so much trouble. Um, is that what it is, uh, so essentially? Matt, Matt, the thing I, I... I think the red meat thing is quite plausible. It's the operation bit that strikes me as unlikely. <laughs> uh, it, it suggests a degree of planning and forethought that they don't seem to have. Uh, if, if they were creating a political grid, I don't suppose they'd have had parties on them to start off with. So, um, bit of it seems a bit likely. I mean, there clearly does seem to be a, an attempt this week to talk about, just get everyone, everyone have a rummage round and get as much stuff out the door as they can. So you've got Dominic Raab today on magistrates' courts. Sajid Javid's looking at doing some of the NHS. Um, and then, you know, the slightly more populist stuff, getting a dean out to slag off the BBC. You know, all of that sort of does... It's it's clearly there is whether or not it was uh, an operation or maybe it's just other people think well if he, if Boris Johnson is going to go I need to set out my stall being anti BBC will appeal to one wing being anti migrants coming yeah. over the channel is another. It's not popular. It's think... not populist for the voters though, is it? That's the that's the funny thing. I mean, a, a lot of it is not quite populist for the voters. It's as I understand the red meat. It's not red meat for the voters. It's red meat for the Tory backbenchers, and this is their real. And this is, it feels like the real problem. To shore, the idea is, I thought, to shore up support for the prime minister at a time when people, uh, generally speaking, seem to think that he ought to go away. Um, uh, what you do is you give them stuff they really like. It's a little bit like the evangelical Christians supporting Donald Trump, despite the fact that he's about as anti-Christian as you can possibly imagine, because he gives them what he wants in terms of Supreme Court judges, and therefore um, the, the religious, uh, the, the evangelicals get what they want. It, it's, it's, it's a bit like that. We'll support you, despite the fact that we know that you are a flawed vessel um, for, 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 for what we want. Um, and the dangers in that is, or the obvious dangers, is, firstly, these things don't work. You know, they don't work and they don't fly. Uh, and that just puts you back another six months until it doesn't work again. And people have noticed that uh, uh, it doesn't work. And also the second thing is it's not necessarily actually popular with the voters. I don't really think having a big attack on the BBC is particularly where voters are right now. And Danny, well, is this, uh, there, you, there's you, something more than... No, go on, Danny. Yeah, go ahead. 
So I, I think there's something more than that. I actually think that even with Conservative MPs, despite the fact that, you know, some of them might want a, a well thought through strategy that was further to the right than the government is, that they would find it offensive and fairly obvious as well. So, you know, I, I don't think uh, it's unreasonable to reconsider in six years' time uh, the, the the licence fee and what we pay for it and whether or not, given the uh, other things that are available, we want to cover as many things as we do with a licence fee quite that size. I think it's perfectly reasonable to discuss that. Um, but to start to tweet that out in the middle of this row uh, because some people are uncomfortable with some aspects of the BBC's reporting... I think that um, even most Conservative MPs uh, and activists would find that not a very, um, you know, acceptable way to to proceed, even if they were quite happy with the outcome. So I don't think it would work even with them. And Danny, you've been in, uh, you know, the, the, the heart of Conservative Party operations when in times of woe, I suppose is one way we could put it. Yeah. Um, and... It, often at those times of crisis is when the gap between the, what the party likes and wants and what the public likes and wants becomes even clearer, doesn't it? Actually, at the precise moment that Boris Johnson clearly is in trouble with lots of members of the public, um, suddenly pursuing an agenda which actually is quite niche when it comes to public opinion, there, there's a real risk in that, isn't there? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it would work for a second. I, I don't actually even think it will work with party members, but David's certainly correct in thinking it won't work uh, with the public. And um, if you don't, if you have ideas that are only half thought through, uh, for example, you know, the culture secretary tweeting out at 7.54 in the morning, what, uh, you know, literally, um, this was the last um, licence fee review, and then not being able to say at all what it is that she plans to put in, in its place. I don't think anybody thinks that's good government. And my view of it is that, you know, what, what I always say to politicians I'm giving advice to is start with what you think is the right thing for the country. Most of the time, that will be the right thing politically. If it isn't the right thing politically, try to think to yourself, why is it not the right thing politically? And explain and, ex and try to, to, to see where the gap is and how you can fill it. And, and I just think not following that advice has only ever got people into trouble and that's what's happening now. Matt, do you want to know what I say when politicians ask me for advice as to what they should do? Go on. Nothing, because they never ask me. <laughs> they never ask me. And and this is an insight into into Danny's world, <laughs> which which I find really kind of interesting. And I think it's not fair. I think it, I think politicians should come and ask me my advice on what they should do. And, and Danny, tell me, why do you think they come to you and not to me? That's or, to, or and I don't think they come to you, Matt. Do they? Is, is I, it I, I, I think it's fair to say that I don't think any politician has ever asked me for my advice on anything. <laughs> is it not true, David, that Tony Blair was interested in your uh, in your advice, for example, on tuition fees? That's the well, you know very well because I gave you a letter from him that he sent to me <laughs> thanking me for my intro, for for speaking on the subject. That was the one and only occasion. And I got a letter out of it, and it's well now done, in your Danny. excellent well and amazing collection. It is. David very generously gave me that letter for my collection of Prime Ministerial letters. Well, thank you, Danny, for, for stamping out that fake news from David. It turns out he is in the pocket of, uh, of Sir Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I've not I'm had sure... a single call from Keir Starmer. <laughs> he sure... never calls, he never, he never writes. It's only a matter of time, it's oh. only a matter of time. I'm sure your knighthood is just around the corner, David. Um, let's talk uh, uh, about fairness. That's populism in politics. What about fairness in politics? Um, because 
there is a sort of thread that runs through from Novak Djokovic to parties in Downing Street. The one rule, you know, it's a cliche. It's a cliche for a reason. One rule for one and one rule, one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us. That is a big, that's, that, that's a real sort of um, uh, tension in politics right now, Debbie. That one was for you, Danny. No, I said David. Uh, I said, David. said oh, David. Did you? Did you? Okay, my hearing. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. Um, actually, He's just sitting I there did, thinking about Tony Blair. Oh yeah, if only Tony Blair. Tony, come back. I love you. Um, uh, uh, I put I put this one down for discussion because I know that it's something that Danny's looked at quite a lot in terms of uh, behavioural psychology and the way in which people respond. In, in other words, the notion of fairness, what cons- constitutes fairness and what constitutes unfairness. All the way, and, and it was kind of slightly odd when Nigel Farage, for instance, kind of had himself pictured as a supporter of Novak Djokovic. And you rather what this isn't a populist position to take up, actually, because people see Novak Djokovic as trying to bilk the system in an unfair way, which he can get away with, which they can't. And that's also underlying, <clears throat> underlying the things about the, the, the thing about the parties, which is why the attempt to try and, as some people have, to move it onto whether or not these restrictions were right in the first place as a kind of way of discussing it, hasn't worked in any way, because what people uh, understand is a concept of fairness. Now, this fair, the fairness concept is really interesting and 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 Danny's written about this before the situation in which people will actually forego advantage to themselves if they concede see that the the element that they're getting is actually unfairly small in other words they consider and the first thing that you understand with small children almost almost the first kind of almost quasi moral thing that they understand is the notion of fairness um and and i just thought this is really interesting and people forget it at their peril don't they danny yes they do and it relates by the way to what people take out so people have a fairness norm that relates to fair division of a given amount um but they also relate that fairness to what they put in and the reason why uh, this issue so you, you remember we discussed often um what i said uh, you know more than a year ago which is none of these scandals will matter till one of them really does and the reason this one really does is because it's triggered the fairness norm in a way that the others haven't people feel they've put in a lot and they and that somebody else is um taking out of the system what they've put in and they don't and that they regard as fundamentally unfair and this is the reason why it's extremely difficult to get off the hook you're, you're right what's happened in, with with Nigel Farage is that the fairness norm has uh, clashed with the attention seeking norm the fairness norm <laughs> is um that we we must get out uh, what we put in the attention seeking norm is that when there's a big news story Nigel Farage wishes to be in it um and um I I think uh that it is a fundamental inconsistency, clearly. Uh, this issue, one of the reasons this issue will not go away is because of the number of people who feel aggrieved uh, because they themselves did some things that the government didn't do. It doesn't matter that you could point out to them um, the fact that you didn't do it and that they did do it are unrelated to each other, right? Um, it, it wouldn't affect the fact that you didn't have to do it, the fact that they were doing these other things naturally speaking people regard that as a terrible argument because it because you know because they expected their sacrifice to be reciprocated and it's the basis of human cooperation so um that is the reason why this one has been the one that was we long discussed uh is the one that mattered when the others didn't it makes me think of something else uh danny which is a kind of preset the parents need to remember um uh, really which is 
that people take you on what they see you doing, not what you say. Uh, and if what you say and what you do is different, particularly when you're suggesting a precept to them that they ought to follow. And I mean, children are very, very kind of keen on this as well. That's where you have real disillusion and real disaster, uh, actually. Um, and you learn after a long time that actually children don't follow you in what you say. They tend to follow you by, if you like, your actual practical example. Yeah, it, it, I agree with you completely. I think that um, used to be a principle of modernisation when David Cameron got elected, which was um, a leader of the party, which was show, don't tell, right? That people will will um, will judge whether the Conservative Party is being modernised by what you do in response to certain things. And actually even how you dress, how you talk, the things that they can see rather than just rather than just the thing rather than just the things that uh, you've said you're going to do and we've seen a bit of that with sort of Keir Starmer keeps saying I am patriotic but actually it doesn't mean anything to anyone he needs to do a series of things which makes people think that that is the case yeah, he needs to go out and fight a war himself exactly. that's what he well, needs I'm to sure, do I'm sure you can advise him on that as, uh, as <laughs> that's a... <laughs> right Keir go out and fight a war personally fight a war show us, show us what you're made of um, uh, the, other th- the other thing that just amuses me about Nigel Farage is him getting so cross about an independent country uh, deciding who can and can't come in uh, which I thought I thought was entirely uh, the purpose of Nigel Farage in, in all matters. He but didn't apparently... mean white people. He, oh, oh, right, fine, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll adjust my... Um, I'll, Unless I'll they're Romanians. My... I suppose Serbia, Serbia's quite close to Romania. Well, I, anyway. Yes, see, tennis, you've forgotten the tennis uh, exemption, right? If you're a world tennis champion, you're exempt from that. Daniel Finkelstein and David Ivanovich there, and of course you can read them in the Times every week. Just pick up a copy of the paper or subscribe online. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Left Box. Up next, who is Liz Truss? Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. Now then, Boris Johnson shows no signs yet of wanting to give up the keys to number 10, but that hasn't stopped lots of talk about the contenders to replace him. And suggestion it's already a straight race between Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, and the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss. But the big question is, who is Liz Truss? She's the longest continuously serving Cabinet Minister. But in a recent poll for this programme, YouGov found 45% of people didn't know who she was. So what we thought we'd do this morning is take a look at Liz Truss, her life and times and her politics 
In a moment, we'll hear from some of those who've worked with her and watched her rise almost without trace uh, through the cabinet. But first, in some of her own words, this is Liz Truss's life. Well, I say my political views sort of went on a pathway. So I started, I started off with two parents who were active members of the nuclear disarmament movement. I then moved, you know, I thought that was wrong because I, I reacted against the political correctness at school. I was annoyed by the sort of, the idea that everybody can have prizes culture that pervaded in my comprehensive school in Leeds. It was seen as, you know, we talked about girly swats, but you were seen as a swat if you tried to do any work. And I reacted against that. I joined the Liberal Democrats because I thought they were the, well, they were the acceptable face of being right-wing in North East Leeds. I mean, I literally <laughs> didn't know any Tories. A lot of my teachers were card-carrying members of the Labour Party. At university, she became president of the Oxford University Liberal Democrats, even speaking at a party conference in 1994 in favour of scrapping the royal family. I agree with Paddy Ashdown when he said... Everybody in Britain should have the chance to be a somebody. But only one family can provide the head of state. Does she still think that? That's what Liz Truss told me in 2019. No, I don't. I think I was wrong. I was a professional controversialist in my teens. I used to like having still arguments. Still a little bit. No, no. Honestly, it's been massively toned down. I used to like having arguments and discussions and exploring ideas. And some of the ideas I explored... I now think we're a bit out there and I don't, I don't agree with. I'm actually a huge fan of the monarchy and I think it's an important part of the stability of this country. But I think it's important that, you know, I was 19 years old at the time. I think it's important we allow people to express themselves and their ideas and it's, it's one of my great beliefs. And why I joined the Liberal Democrats is I did think they believed in freedom as a party and that is my core political, you know, lodestar. That I, I hated being told what to do. I wanted freedom to live my own life as I thought, saw fit. I didn't want to be stereotyped as a woman. I didn't want to be stereotyped as coming from the North or any, anything else. I gradually realised that the Conservative Party is actually the home for people like that, that believe, believe those things. After university, Liz Truss worked for Shell and Cable and & Wireless and ran the Reform Think Tank. And then I, then I became a Conservative and absolutely loved it. Yeah. I found people that I agreed with, that I could relate to. She stood for election for the Conservatives in 2001 and 2005, but it wasn't until she made it onto David Cameron's A-list of candidates that she secured the safe seat of South West Norfolk, becoming MP there in 2010. Two years later, she was a minister and then joined the Cabinet in 2014, making her the longest continuously serving member of the current cabinet, having served under David Cameron, Theresa May and Boris Johnson, first as Environment Secretary. At the moment, we import two-thirds of all of our apples. We import nine-tenths of all of our pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. In the 2016 EU referendum, she backed Remain, but has since become an outspoken advocate for Brexit. I think at the time, and I did waver before making my decision about which side to back during the Brexit referendum, I didn't realise quite the catalyst Brexit would be in terms of shaping a new view of Britain. And I'm always somebody who 
wants things to move forward. I think we've got huge opportunities in this country and we need to make them real for people. And I now see Brexit as a catalyst that can help us achieve that. So becoming more competitive, becoming a lower tax economy, giving people in our country more opportunity, more freedom. Under Theresa May, she became Justice Secretary, facing criticism for not standing up for the judiciary over tax and Brexiteers, labelling them enemies of the people. And she had some novel ideas for how to stop drones being used to smuggle drugs into prisons. But what we are doing is solutions such as installing extra netting. I was at HMP Pentonville last week. They've now got patrol dogs who are barking, which helps deter drones. Liz Truss then became Chief Secretary to the Treasury and when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, he made her International Trade Secretary, striking out around the world to secure trade deals and Instagram likes. It also allowed her to push her pro-trade, low-tax agenda. Be positive and pro-enterprise and that is the way we're going to grow the economy, which will mean we've got more money to spend on public services and cutting taxes, which I think is incredibly important. Britain is only going to succeed as a low-tax economy, and it's one of the main reasons for leaving the EU, is to give us that freedom and flexibility to do things differently. When people talk about austerity, most people across the country, as well as talking about public services, also mean their own personal, you know, what, what they're earning every month, what they're paying out every month. And it's really important that we keep taxes low and we make sure that people aren't paying too much over in taxes. Businesses too, because the more money businesses can keep, the more they can invest and the more they can grow the economy. She's been an outspoken critic of government intervention, notably over things like the sugar tax designed to tackle obesity. In general, I don't believe we should moralise through the tax system. And I think that we should have taxes that are efficient, as simple as possible. In short, Liz Trust believes that the role of the government is to get out of the way. I believe the government should be there. First of all, to make sure that we have a safe, a safe country where people can live free lives. And I also believe that children need to be given the capability, the decision-making to be able to make decisions. But I believe when people are adults, they should be free to live the lives that they seek to lead. They should be free to decide and determine their own future. And we shouldn't have too much of the government telling them what to do. Because I think that infantilises people. I think we need to allow people to be able to make their own decisions. And I think that is a core part of being a Conservative. The daughter of anti-nuclear campaigners, who then became a Lib Dem anti-monarchist and then a Conservative pro-Remainer. Liz Truss is reinventing herself again. Now Foreign Secretary, she's posing as the Margaret Thatcher of the internet age. But is that enough to get her to cross the threshold of number 10. We're talking about Liz Truss. Who is Liz Truss? She's supposedly one of the front runners to become Prime Minister, but in a poll by YouGov for this programme last week, we found 45% of people didn't even know who she was. Well, let's speak to Henry Zeppard, Chief Political Correspondent at the time, to try and fill things in. Hi, Henry. Hi, Matt. It's Wilson. Um, give us a sense, first of all, of where the public are on this trust. As I've mentioned, she's, she's been in the Cabinet continuously for longer than anyone else. And yet almost half of people don't know who she is. What about uh, amongst those Tory party members who might ultimately decide who would replace Boris Johnson? 
Well, there was some really interesting polling by opinion yesterday of Conservative Party members. But you don't get sort of properly weighted polling of the party membership that often. Um, and they found that she was the second favourite uh, if there were a contest, which those members didn't seem that keen on, by the way. Um, but that she was uh, the favourite choice of 33% of those party members. The problem for her is that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, was the favourite choice of 44% of those party members. And if you put them in a runoff, which is, of course, how the leadership system works, uh, Sunak would beat her by 28 points. Now, look, this is early days. Of course, in that scenario, there would be a campaign where she would hope that uh, she would be able to win round some of those people who aren't uh, backing her yet. But look, she's well-placed. Of course she is. She's the Foreign Secretary. She's a very experienced politician. But it still seems pretty clear that Rishi Zunak is the front-runner, were, uh, in Boris Johnson's phrase, the ball to come loose from the scrum. Uh, what about her politics? I mean, she's she's very um, uh, big on sort of personal freedom, low tax and so on. But for someone to have served under successively David Cameron, Theresa May and Boris Johnson, to have never resigned or, or found a, you know, uh, uh, had a policy row, um, does that mean she's very just a very adept at politics? Does that mean that actually she's not quite as ideological as she makes out uh, and actually can go from... Cameron to May to Johnson quite uh, smoothly. Um, how strongly held are our political views, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You can't serve that long continuously in the cabinet without being uh, a very deft and capable politician. Um, I mean, you heard it in that montage, right? Um, she was a pretty convinced Remainer, a very loyal part of the uh, you know, vast majority of the cabinet who campaigned behind David Cameron for Remain. Um, but has come up with a formula in interviews uh, that helps her explain her, her conversion. I mean, of course, the conver conversion is above all motivated by the fact that the UK voted to leave and the Conservative Party went in that direction. Um, I mean, look, I don't think that's necessarily something to be sniffed at, right? I mean, a lot of politicians who, uh, uh, you know, who also would have had leadership ambitions at various points fell foul of the change from Cameron to May to Johnson and from Remain to leave in a way that she managed not to. But of course, it does open the question um, about her political convictions to some degree. On the other hand, when you are the environment secretary, as she was in her first cabinet job, you don't get a lot of opportunities to set out a developed political philosophy. And if you do, people will think you're a bit uppity. Uh, but now that she is the foreign secretary and a major player in Westminster, she does have more chance to do that. Uh, and certainly her politics are, as is widely talked about, you know, this sort of libertarian leaning uh, low tax, um, in many ways, more traditional conservatism with a big C uh, than that espoused um, by, well, Boris Johnson to a degree, Rishi Sunak. Um, but she also remains fiercely loyal, 100% loyal, as she put it, to Boris Johnson. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting mix. Henry Zeppard, stay there. Let's bring in Kirsty Buchanan, who was a special advisor for uh, Liz Trust when she was Justice Secretary. Morning, Kirsty. Good morning. Um, are you surprised that she's now seen as a front runner to replace Boris Johnson? Well, I don't. I mean, those of us that have been knocking around in Westminster as long as you and I have, Matt, can remember that when she first joined and she was back in the Britannia Unchained gang of of that 2010 intake, she was then widely tipped to be a future leader in the making, and then her career took a bit of a nosedive, I think, under Theresa May. And she owes her political renaissance to Boris Johnson, who sort of plucked her out of relative cabinet obscurity in 
made of the regional trade sector and it gave her this incredible platform to, you know, wrap herself in the Union Jack flag and rule Britannia right across the globe. And that's given her a sort of fresh lease of life. So Henry's 100% right. She is 100% loyal to, to Boris right now. She owes her uh, newfound fortune to him. But also her allies don't think, you know, it would serve her well right now for, for a contest because she needs to prove herself. And she's in some ways like the continuity Boris campaign candidate. So if he left in the height of a crisis rather than a sort of much smoother time, it would not serve her prospects very well. So I think for them, it, it plays better for her allies. It plays better for the contest to run long rather than sort of happen in the next few months. It's interesting that, that she, she'd be the continuity boss. So she's very outspoken. Uh, she likes a photo op, which, you know, I think it's fair to say that Boris Johnson's a fan of. Was that something that you were conscious of um, back when she was at Justice? I mean, I mean, she was always quite keen on posing with various things and, you know, her Instagram and so on. I mean, it, it's just been turned up to 11 since she's been at International Trade and then the Foreign Office. At the end of last year, there was a story about how there were more photos of her on the government's uh, Flickr account than all of the rest of the cabinet put together. She's very conscious of how image matters in politics. Oh, a hundred percent. Look, image does matter in in politics, and she's had more image changes than Madonna, I think, in her in her time in government, hasn't she? So, if you look at the Instagram account, that's it. It charts this kind of ditzy, ingenue, quite young cabinet minister who makes lots of mistakes and. It's all sort of windswept and interesting on the beaches of Norfolk. And then it gets more corporate as she goes into sort of international trade. And there's lots of dull shots of her standing next to men in suits. And now we've got into this sort of stratospheric kind of global leader, low shot, striding across the stage with incredible backdrops behind her. And it sort of charts that kind of growing confidence that she has. <coughs> but from someone that's like, you know, she's now got one of the highest offices in the state. And she, as you say, she's been in cabinet longer than any other serving minister. So she... Definitely sees herself as a contender. She knows that image matters. And, uh, yeah, she's prepared to exploit that. Now, one of the things uh, she's been uh, doing is sort of modelling herself on Margaret Thatcher, even posing in a tank, just to really hammer that home for people who aren't paying attention at home. Um, she's talked about going from chanting Margaret uh, Thatcher, Thatcher out, out, out with her parents uh, on protest, but now sort of espousing late Thatcherite economics. Well, Mark, let's bring in Mark Littlewood. He's the head of the Institute for Economic Affairs, a free market think tank, which which loves all this uh, stuff. Uh, morning, Mark. What's your, your assessment on Liz Truss? Is she really the heir to Thatcher? I think in many ways she is. Um, I think that, you know, the comparison is really only made because she's a woman. Um, and it's very difficult for any woman politician in the Conservative Party to avoid some sort of comparison to Margaret Thatcher, whether flattering or not. It is sort of her agenda. I mean, you've highlighted, if you were to highlight the low tax, sort of deregulate the economy, allow enterprise to boom sort of stuff, Matt. Yes, there's not much difference between Margaret Thatcher's approach and Liz Truss's on the bare bones of economic uh, policy and strategy. But there are as many marked differences as well. Your package highlighted she's she's very socially liberal. She doesn't really mind what people get up to in their private lives, what lifestyle choices they make. That's quite a big that's quite a big difference between her and Mrs. T. Uh, I think she's also a, a difference that you might uh, point out is that so she has this sort of unbounded energetic optimism about her Liz Truss and, and that sort of a rising tide will raise all ships. Whereas I think Mrs Thatcher was a bit more combative, saw sort of the, the fight for 
reforming Britain in the 1980s as a sort of form of class war. You are either with or against her. She sort of famously coined the phrase and kept asking, is he is she one of us? And so she very much saw it as people being on her side or against her. I think Liz Truss is a bit more collegiate than than that, doesn't see it as class war. So there are some similarities. I think that uh, your other contributors are right. She is on the low-tax, low-spend side of the Conservative Party, but also on the socially liberal side of the Conservative Party, and that's quite an interesting mix. And I would say the bookmakers have probably got it about right, Matt. Who am I to criticise market prices for being wrong? That she probably is the second favourite in the race, that probably if you had to call it now, although everybody is odds against, but you'd probably say Rishi Sunak uh, is the favourite as we speak now. Of course, we don't know if there will be an election uh, for, for leader, but Liz Truss probably is the second favourite. She's in with a, a sporting chance, in my view. Is there an issue, Mark? You come on the, you come on the show every other Monday and we talk about your, your take on economics and you you often remark that you feel like you're slightly shouting at a brick wall, that, mm-hmm. that your, your, your worldview, free market economics... Uh, let the market uh, decide, low uh, low tax, low public spending, small state. That's not particularly where the public are right now. And I just wonder whether that's a good place. It might be a good place to tickle a particular constituency in the Conservative Party. Uh, is that a good place, do you think, for Liz Truss to be in terms of public opinion? I, I think it actually is, oddly enough, because uh, I, I think that her pitch is going to be that she doesn't decide what to do by looking at the spot price in a focus group or what the present opinion polls say today. And you're right, if you look at opinion polls, people seem relatively content with, with sort of high public spending and there hasn't been a public rebellion over tax. But I think, again, to make the Mrs. T comparison, she uh, she's more likely to say, well, look, these are the policies that I think will work. They may not even be popular at the time of implementation, but if they work, I have confidence that the results will be so spectacular that people will flock to my banner. And that's very much how Margaret Thatcher operated. I can barely think of a Thatcherite policy that was popular at the time it was implemented, even the sale of council houses. But she was so convinced that the policies would work and would become popular down the line. And I would expect, were we to get Prime Minister Trust, that a, a similar strategy would be followed. It's really that's a really interesting point actually that actually having something that you genuinely believe is a good idea and then following it through. I mean, it's a novel approach to politics, but uh, it's, it's, it's a particularly different. One. What I want to do is come around um, all of you again and just uh, if you if if Liz just picked up the phone to you and asked, what do I need to do? Some advice, you know, is there a weakness that she needs to address? Let's start with you, Henry Zeffman. Um, we we've heard that she's holding fizz with Liz parties with MPs, biz with Liz meetings with with uh, businesses and so on. What do you think Liz Truss needs to do to fulfil what is quite obviously her aim, albeit not one that's, that's shifted the dial yet? Your advice for Liz Truss? Yeah, I think she's in a pretty good position with MPs, actually. Um, I'm particularly struck in conversations by how popular she is with the 2019 intake, who are, of course, incredibly numerous. I think they're about a third of the Conservative Parliamentary Party. Um, I think Kirsty's absolutely right. I think the thing she needs to do is wait a little bit. I know that's not really in her gift, but I think a period showing that she is up to the job of foreign secretary, that she is a serious uh, stateswoman, uh, will be the best uh, card uh, in, in, you know, in her favour. If she can say, look, I'm a successful foreign secretary, I've got good links on the global stage, and it's not too much of a stretch to go from there into Downing Street. I think that uh, it will be the best thing in her favour, rather than trying to make the leap after what are just a few short months at this stage, uh, holding that great office of state. 
Henry Zeppelin chief is across one of the times. Thank you for that. Uh, Mark Littlewood, your advice for Liz Truss? Yeah, I think it's interesting because although your other contributors and you, Matt, and your package pointed out that it is possible to de detect Liz Truss's sort of philosophy and general approach to the world, I think that's true. She's quite transparent and outspoken on that. But I think she probably hasn't yet delivered a kind of barnstorming and deep and meaningful 40-minute speech from a, uh, from a platform. She's done lots of media interviews, lots of Instagram posts, has, has you know, written lots of newspaper articles, but I wonder whether at some point, without looking seditious, she needs to actually set out her vision in quite a high-profile uh, speech, you know, possibly at Conservative Conference, possibly somewhere else. And I'm scratching my brain to think whether she's done that. I think not. So although I think she's pretty good on the media, I think she knows her own mind. I think her sort of slight quirkiness on, on social media is a benefit. You might say that she hasn't yet set out in grandstanding terms what her vision for the country is. And if she could find an opportunity to do that without coming across as rebellious and without undermining the present administration, <laughs> I think that's an opportunity she should seize. Mark Littlewood from the Institute for Economic Affairs. Thank you for that. Last word then to Kirsty Buchanan. You've been there. You worked with Liz Truss when she was in government. Um, you, you, you later worked in number 10 too, so you know what the job involves to be Prime Minister. Your advice to Liz Truss? Yeah, I mean, I would uh, play to your strengths always uh, if you want to uh, be a leader and, and God love Liz, but her strengths are not in, in public oratory, are they, and, and in delivering speeches. They've got a lot better since the low point of the cheese speech, but, but, but it's still not her strength. Mine would be, look, play the long game, put your head down, be seen to be doing a serious job of being the foreign secretary. You can map out your vision in slow time in op-eds and she's beginning to shape a vision for where she sees Britain. Plug away at that, put your head down and get, get on with the job and let people see you doing a serious piece of work. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.